0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So Father, we just thank you for your work. Thank you for your testimony, your goodness. Thank you for your completed healing In Uncle John's life, thank you, Lord, for the testimony that so many will come to know you. And that you are working in all of our lives. And we just bless you for your faithfulness. We bless you for answered prayer. Not because we deserve it or earn it, but because you are God. Lord, come and glorify yourself in our lives and through our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great stuff. Well, you just turn to somebody next to you and say, God is good. We're going to read um, about 20 verses together and we're going to spend most of the time just in those verses. It's a a passage well known and it sort of connects with with John. There are three parts of this passage. It's Romans chapter 8 verse 15 to 36. So let's read verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we crowd above Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so one must actually, um, when you read the book of Romans, the book of Romans is probably the best book on doctrine. You can spend a lot of decades just on the book of Romans. And there's a lot of different streams, you know, the election, the predestination, there's a lot of issues one can get out of there. But if you really want to understand salvation and identification, and justification, and all these big words that people use, uh, then the book of Romans is probably the best book to read. But here in the middle of Romans, Paul sort of talks about this idea of suffering, and uh, the fact that um, we have to go through things, We have to, there are challenges in our lives, and especially in the environment that we are living in, do you know that in South Africa, the, a recent study came out said that um, where many people in Europe struggle with depression and heaviness, in South Africa, um, a lot of society str- um, struggle with severe anxiety and fear because of corruption, because of violence, because of f- uh, fear of the future. So, So for a Western sort of type of environment, we actually live in a very volatile, tense, traumatized environment. And um, as Christians, we need to speak into these areas and, and also challenge each others. And it's sort of in this place where Paul begins to write. And um, the amazing thing about Paul, most of his letters were written out of prison, uh, were, were written out of circumstances that were not so good. It's easy to write about goodness and be thankful, all that stuff, when things are going well. But he's talking about this idea of suffering and the challenges and the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this. And he says uh, <clears throat> to the Romans, and especially uh, if we understood that a lot of, there was a, ro- a lot of Roman oppression, there were a lot, a lot of Roman challenges, and the Romans were the strong ones that portrayed a certain type of living, they conquered the world, um, so they had these massive armies, the Roman Empire was great. Um, And so he writes about this Roman adoption, which is a bit different than what most people would actually say, just like, hey, go and adopt somebody. There was a a massive ritual when you would adopt somebody in the Roman culture. And so he said, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Um, There's another translation that says, for you did not receive a state state which dominating condition is slavery so that you might relapse into fear where the the dominating thing is slavery. And so he says, remember that you have been adopted. Remember that the Holy Spirit wants to bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And adoption um, actually signified four different things. I'm going to just give you a bit of background. The first thing is that when a son was adopted in the Roman culture, He lost all rights from the old family and gains all the rights of the new one. It wasn't like like you belonged to that family. Suddenly when you, there was actually a whole ritual with it, but when you came into this new family, all the rights of the previous family, speaking of the world, was lost, and you got into all the new rights of this new family. The second thing that happened is you were heir to this new father's estates completely on an equal basis. Um, And if you think of what he says, he says that we are also heirs with Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ. Then the third thing is all debts were canceled of your previous life immediately. No debts of the previous life were transferred in this adoption process in the Roman culture. And then also the law actually determined that you were a complete new son, as if you were actually a son born of blood or a daughter born of blood into that family. There was actually really nothing that would refer back to the old life. So it was a very, very powerful thing that Paul is writing about. He says, remember, you were adopted into this family. And the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, especially in times when there are slavery and people, People are in fear or there's a lot of anxiety is to remind us that we have been adopted out of this world into this new family, the family of God, into this place of being joint heirs with Christ. And so it was nothing really about deserving or earning it. It wasn't because of good works. It was simply a choice of the father that I'm going to adopt this son from this life and give him a complete new life. And that is, that is an amazing concept, if we understand what God did with us, you know. And so there at the end, I said, the Christian life is not without effort, but it is without earning. And, and so, so the whole concept, and this is very difficult for people that work hard, and people that want to have outcomes. Most of us, you think like, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to climb the ladder, or I'm going to, I want to, sort of get a better job, I want to really provide for my family, I want to, I want to sort of be there, or I, I want to make sure everybody is secure. So, so we come into a works environment when we live, and when we live in South Africa, because you need to get money, and you need to earn a living for your family. But when it comes to the things of God, there is nothing you can earn or that you deserve, and that is a powerful statement, <laughs> When it comes to God and this adoption into this new family, it is crazy that you cannot earn it. You cannot do by praying more, you don't get more of sonship. So, so it's based on the choice of God, and this is what Paul is writing. He says, The Holy Spirit wants to remind you of that because all of us, we get into a bit of works, you know. All of us get into like, hey, I I, I need to work harder for God or I need to do more or I need to... And we fall into a condemnation or even a fear culture with God because we, we take that culture of the world and then we say, okay, maybe I must just become a better person. And the better I become, the more good I become, the more adopted I am. And it's not true. Scripture says God takes you from that place and he puts you into a new family. It's called the justification. It's called the righteousness of God. And and he says the Holy Spirit wants to minister that to your spirit so that you can cry out, Abba, Father. Because in your own culture, in our culture, you can't do it. It's absolutely impossible, because we're going to take the culture of the world that has been put on us, that says, hey, I must earn, I must deserve, or or, or that person, you know, you know, SPA, you know, knows some people, he's got a doctorate, so he's obviously much better than Peter around the corner, or, but it's not about competition, it's like you've been taken out of darkness into his marvelous light, amen? No, it's, uh, thank you for that uh, loud amen, you know, but so uh, praise the Lord. Okay, now, now he goes on and he says, you've been adopted, you've been justified by God, but there's something inside of you that you need to make a peace with as a Christian, is that you don't just live for this world. Let's read here verse 19, it says, for the earnest expectation, it sort of looks at creation. And he he says, like, there's a crying in your spirit that God wants to bring that he says, I've been adopted, I've been set free, I'm not living by the things of this world. And I'm not, my my value is not determined by the things of this world. And so now he looks at creation, he says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So he says, God has taken us from that place of darkness into this new family, into this new way of living. But there's going to be a final salvation and that's when Jesus comes back and says that's this groaning, this eagerly waiting for that adoption. He says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with it for it with perseverance. So he says, there's been an adoption, but there's something much more that we as Christians have. It's the anchor of our soul. It's the hope. There's a there's a huge hope inside of us that all this is going to pass away, and do you know what? There's there's going to be the final adoption, and that's when we see him. That's when this hope that we have held on to with perseverance to know that hey, we are not being determined by these things. We our, our life, our identity is not in those things. There's there's something bigger, and that's why this challenge is. It says there's an expectation, there's an eager awaiting. And even creation around us is crying out, you know. Even creation is, has this expectation that the sons of God will begin to stand up, the daughters of God will begin to say, hey, we are free from these things. And so that hope is so deep because it talks about this thing. It's called the glorious hope. A hope that is an anchor. It says that the nature is waiting to be delivered. From this world, because there's an eager anticipation expectation it 's like somebody that that's scanning the horizon and is looking for waiting for something to come, waiting for that that person or waiting for that moment to you know like like some people are, are waiting i see there's a lot of people from the Afrikaans service here, and I know the reason why is it because the pastor that always preaches short sermons in the Afrikaans service and they don't want the, they want to you know. Go and, go and worship the rugby Japanese people. I'm not referring to Hink or Dries or any of the families at the back, but the whole Afrikaans service is sitting there at the back. I wonder why, you know, but I have my, oh, Andre, you are also here, but my, my, um, you know, my, my Japanese socks are on, not with any, Reference to any rugby or any stuff. There's even people like Gideon that are wearing like his rugby shirt, you know. He's at least coming out with his idolatry this morning. You know, he's at least bringing it out, showing the world what is on his heart. But in any case, so, so, so like, (coughs) you, you, you're waiting in anticipation, maybe for that football game or that thing, or you've, you've got this, you know, you, you imagine you've been planning for something for a long time and now there's, there's this excitement but also this tension, you know, maybe that you want to go on a holiday or, or you have, you've been planning for that surprise party or that thing and, and so now it's this build-up and you're going to wait for that thing to happen, you know, and this is almost the picture of somebody that's not... In a sense, he's satisfied with where he's at, but there's something much bigger that he's looking to. It's it's that hope. It's a glorious hope scripture talks about it. And so, when we get too entangled in the things in this world, we lose that hope. When the depression and anxiety takes over, we actually exchange for another spirit than the Holy Spirit. And that is what, what Paul is writing about. We believe it's Paul. Um, and so he says, there's, there's a, there's, you did not receive that spirit of bondage again that, that keeps a hold on you through fear. But you've received another spirit, the spirit of adoption. And you and I must know that there are two spirits at work in our lives. The one is the Holy Spirit that wants to say, hey, you're not from this world, you are free. There's an anticipation of things to come. There's a deeper hope that you live for, even if you go through tough times. Even if you, if you are diagnosed with cancer and suddenly you don't realize like what's happening. I must really commend on John, you know, visiting him a couple of times. Just always says, I believe God is going to heal me. I believe that's what scripture is going to say. And I believe that is what Scripture is saying, you know. And a couple of times when Eugene and I would pray for him or go and visit him, then every time we came out there with just so much more faith. says, God, what, what if I would get that diagnosis tomorrow? How would I change my life or would I really start to believe Scripture? Because when, hey, when we go through tough times, that's really when our faith is tested, eh? <laughs> That's really when, when suddenly you realize, like, wow, what, what, what am I saying about eternity? Because God has written eternity in my heart, but, but now it's tasted. The uh, cookie eats the fan, or what is what eats the fan, or the rubber meets the road, what eats what the fan? I don't know what eats the fan, but if something eats the fan and it's fanny all over, you're, you know, it's smudgy all over, you realize, like, hey, this is not good stuff, you know? What the pawpaw, the pawpaw it's the fan. I've got it, I've got it. Thank you for helping me. Um, Yanni, these other people, I don't know. You know, they're making me suffer Yeah, Cookie it's the fan, Popo, eats the fan, whatever. But so, we were driving in the Ukraine. I told the, the students last week, we were driving in the Ukraine and now we're going in this poster these Russian posters I don't know why they drive like that, but... The driving makes you get closer to Jesus, okay? So now we're driving one night, and we're all tired, and all the family is there. We've been all day, and this one kid decides he's going to minister. But now he's sitting next to me. He's about, I think, nine years old. And he just ministers all over me with all the marshmallows and all the sweets and everything he ate. Because while we were busy braying, he was thinking, like, this is his opportunity to... Cement, you know, all the sweets that he didn't get in the week. So he was just ministering all over my shoes, all over that, you know, It was this smell, and you think like, oh, okay, there's more that hit the fan now. But anyway, any case, I don't know why I'm t- telling that. But so, so sometimes life gets messy, you know. Sometimes, you know, especially those people who have got kids, you know, when you just want to put your best foot forward, and then, uh, you know. But we have a hope that they grow up, I mean, and then they pay back, Hallelujah, okay? When they earn money one day. So there's a liberation, there's a renovation, there's a recreation. So the Christian is not waiting for death, the Christian is waiting for life. Because we're committed to life. And and it is so easy to exchange this fear, to let let the spirit of bondage again to fear grip you. And just slowly it creeps up on you. And sometimes it's very small fears. Sometimes it's huge fears. Sometimes it's something somebody has said over you. Hey, you're never going to get married or you're never going to have that type of marriage. And, and those, those words just like cement us into certain things. And then you and I have to decide. Are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to set us free, to cry out, Abba Father, to have this adoption To have this freedom of this massive hope inside of us or we're going to submit to that fear. We're going to submit to what the world says about South Africa and we're going to listen to the news. And And please, you know, stop listening to the news, you know. Only bad things sell, okay. How many clicks they get and all that stuff. So then people start talking about, oh, did did you hear about this? And did you hear about this? And did you hear about this? And and eventually, we begin to submit to that spirit of fear. And I'm not saying don't be, you know, pragmatic and don't make sure you're secure and all of that stuff. But it's so easy to give in to that stuff. And then many times, the stats is completely wrong that's quoted. (laughs) Don't just believe the newspaper. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Okay, because bad news sell. <laughs> have you ever heard a good testimony in the news? You know, <laughs> have you in the last 10 years? No, you don't. Why? Because the world wants to bring you into bondage by having you gripped in fear. Because the quickest way you get results is by putting fear on people. They, the study says that, you know, not medium, long term, and, term, even in your business, you know, People are gonna leave your business if you motivate them by fear, but if you say, hey guys, this is it. Let's let's press in, you know? And I, I used to have a boss that would work like this. I've said it before, you know, but he would always like, uh, we had 400 people working in the company, and he would say like, hey, okay, what we're gonna do is we're gonna tell everyone they get a 8% raise next year, and then we have an interview with each one of them, and then we say, okay, because of this, and this, and this, that you must improve on, we're going to deduct 1% there, we're going to deduct 2% there. And so eventually, most people in the company got 4% raise. So after about three years, I just went to him and I said to him, look, I, I think you're doing it completely wrong. Rather, tell everybody they're going to get a 2% raise. And then when you call them in, you say, hey, wow, I'm so excited because I can see you improving in this area and this area. So I'm going to give you an extra 1% and another 1% for this. And then you're going to get to 4%. Because you've, in any case, decided what you're going to give them before the time. Don't motivate people through fear. Because inspired people will have hope. Because if they have fear, they're going to steal from you. They're going to to just go for the immediate. There's no long-term planning. There's no long-term... Why? Because that's what fear does. Fear cripples us. And this is what Paul is writing. He says, Christians, you need to be free. You need to be free from fear because there's a greater hope. There's a liberation. There's, there's something. It's, you're not living now to come to the end of your life and see how much you can live. Live life now and live it to the full. It actually says life is knowing God and life is eternity. There's such a greater hope that stirs us to run so that when I come to graduation day, my life actually starts. This is just a practice run. <laughs> I'm not getting too many amens this morning. But likewise, the Spirit, 26. So he says, okay, let's acknowledge that we are weak. Because we we, we want to, we, we tend to submit to that first Spirit all the time. And now he says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He says, in your prayers, do you know what What you're going to pray for? You're going to pray in fear. You're going to pray for the immediate results. And that's why you, you and I must realize that we are weak. Just, just be very open and say, okay, Lord, I, I'm weak. Because I, I tend to just go for the temporary. I tend to just get stuck in this place. But he says, that's why the Holy Spirit's work in your life is to help you to make intercession, to help you to understand how these things work. And He makes intercession for you. And especially when you pray in the Spirit, especially when you begin to lock out of just praying prayers of fear and connecting with right now, Lord, I want breakthrough right now. The Holy Spirit wants to birth something much deeper in you. He says the Holy Spirit makes intercession. And now He says, now He searches the heart's knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then he right here in the middle. I love this part. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. What should we do? Love God. What does God do? He makes all things work together. Is that just good stuff? Everything. Whether I get bad news or whatever I'm diagnosed with or whatever, if I have this preoccupation with this hope and what God is doing in my life, do you know what's going to happen? I'm going to say, God, I trust you. God, I know because the Holy Spirit is working with me. I'm not going through this even alone. I'm, I've got a much deeper hope. I've got a much deeper love. And therefore, all things work together. I know that all things work together. I know that all things work together. So whatever you're facing, whatever I'm facing, all things will work together. For the good to those who love God. Why? Because God's got a purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he has predestined, these are also called. When we call, these are also justified. And when we justify, these are also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Turn to your neighbor and say, If God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you for your enthusiasm this morning. Okay. Turn to your other neighbor and say, If God is for us, who can be against us? (laughs) Thank you. I'm just waking up some people. He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall we, He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is you who condemns. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at, the event, at the, even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And then he asks this question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So he asks this question. Who shall separate us from the love of God? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things. It doesn't say that God removes us. Because the modern gospel says, God removes suffering. God removes all this stuff. God removes all this stuff so that you can have an utopia with the Lord here on earth. It says, no, no. In all these things. In all these things, there's one promise. You will not be separated from the love of God. Yet in all these things, yet in all these things. So what does he promise us? He says there will be tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril and sword. Yet in all these things. In it. While you go through it. All these things. He doesn't say he... Gives you an absence of those things, and now you just, oh, I have this wonderful hope. And that's where the prosperity gospel goes in completely the wrong direction because it creates a wrong expectation. Yet, in all these things, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And then he writes this I love this word, for I am persuaded. I am persuaded. A couple of verses ago he says, I know, but now he says, I am persuaded. (laughs) When you're sitting in prison and you're writing that I'm persuaded of something, when you have gone through tribulation, you've gone through persecution, so it's not like, he's not using a little bit of knowledge and saying, oh, let's let's maybe, he says, I've been there, done that, bought the (laughs) t-shirt, ate the hot dogs, and the tomatoes add too much chili in. You know? It has been tough, he says. But in it, I've been persuaded of one thing. I have been persuaded. I am convinced. I know for sure. I have a guarantee. I'm persuaded that neither, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, I'm persuaded. It is a crazy scripture. (laughs) It's written by somebody that has been through good times and bad times. And I want to agree with Um John this morning that God does not bring sickness. It is God's will. The world has put sickness on us. God doesn't use sickness as an instrument. But he doesn't promise us an absence of persecution and tribulation and tough times. And I have a very simple view at that. I just say, hey, God didn't create the world with sickness. And God, there's no sickness in heaven. Sickness is a result of the fall. It's a result of our own doing." and the curse so God doesn't punish us through sickness God does use discipline and God can use sickness but sickness is not from God because God is not evil in in his being I mean let's just say God is a good God so don't walk out here and think like oh you know maybe God is going to give me cancer so that I can learn a couple of things no cancer is not from the Lord does people, good people get cancer? yes there are some good Christians that have been prayed for die of cancer? Yes. Do we know why? We, all, we, we don't know all the answers. Are we going to stop praying for them? No, we're going to stand in faith. <laughs> you know, my grandmom, when she was, oh, I can't even remember the age, but she was in hospital and I went to drive all the way to Caledon to go and pray for her and she was on the bed. She was already like yellow, blue. She, she was in her last twenty-four hours. I asked all the family to go out. I remember she was lying in the hospital. She already said all her goodbyes, and I. She was not a Christian, and so I. I said, Grandma, I'm going to pray for you, and and I prayed for her, and the Lord healed her supernaturally. Twenty-four hours later, she walked out of the hospital, healed, completely healed. So I drove through again. I said, Grandma, do you know what this this one who healed you is Jesus? Are you ready to have a conversation with him about what he's done. And she says, no, no, I've, I've messed up too much in my life. I don't want to become a Christian. It was one of the toughest days. I got in my car, drove away again, and I think about three or four years later, she was lying at home again, and the cancer came back, and a lot of stuff. And she couldn't speak even on her deathbed. And the family was there again, and I went into her room. She was lying at her home, and I said, Grandma, I had a conversation with you three or four years ago. I don't know if God is going to heal you again, but all I want to know is, are your soul in place? Where are you going? I want to pray for you, because Jesus wants to heal you, but maybe not naturally this time. He wants to heal you from the hardness in your heart. He wants to do the greatest miracle, and that is to break the fear of death over your life. I remember the tear. there was a tear running around this cheek and a tear running around. I said, can, can I lead you to Christ? Do you want to pray or pray? No, she couldn't speak anymore. And she just nodded her head. And I said, Grandma, if you agree with me, I'm going to pray. And after every sentence, I want you to just nod your head. Just say yes to Jesus, not to me, to her. You know, and all the family was sitting outside. Everyone was tense. And I just prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you that you will save me i ask you that this will that has messed up my life, because my granddad cheated on my grandma, lots of adulterous relationships, eventually divorced, and it just brought such bitterness and hatred in her life. I said, Lord, please forgive me as I forgive others. And then another ch- just dropped, it started to drop like, just ran, she was just crying and crying. Jesus, give me your righteousness. I want to live for you. Because even in messing up my life, there's a greater hope. There's a greater life. She just nodded her head. Lying there on her deathbed, full of medication and all that stuff, just to get the pain away. As I was holding her hand, I could just see in her eyes, something changed right there. 30 seconds later, she closed her eyes and never opened it again. I walked out of the room and I was standing like this. (laughs) Because I just saw the greatest miracle ever. The family was thinking like, what has just happened to this guy, you know? They went in and she she died. I said, but she lives. Right now. There I realized it's not too late for God to intervene. It's never too late. But don't wait for that day. And this is what he's writing. He says whatever you're going through, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. God will work all things together. There's just one little thing in there that I cannot read. There is one thing that can separate you from the love of God, and that's your past. There's nothing present or nothing in the future. But it doesn't include your past. And that's why we need to forgive. That's why we need to learn to live with soft hearts. Because if you're going to allow those things of the past to grab hold of you, and the fears and the anxieties and the bitterness, then you separate yourself from the love of God then the choices you make and the things that catch up with you. And that's why we can make a choice today. (laughs) That's why it's so beautiful. It says like the Holy Spirit wants to renew you when you've lost hope, when you've lost a sense of nothing can separate me from the love of God. (laughs) You see, then I don't need people's opinions. I don't need to find my identity by what people do. I don't need to look at my circumstances. It can be good or it can be bad, but I can hang on to this hope, a glorious hope. So to recap, God has given us a glorious adoption. It's not a little transaction. It's a complete transformation into a different legitimate sonship. He says, I've chosen you to take you from that place into a new life, a new inheritance, a new way of thinking. So it's everyone that responds is included. But more than that, I've also given you a hope and I've given you a love. I've given you this ability to go way beyond just living life for now because fear will make you live life just for now. That spirit of bondage again to fear will drive you. But there's something bigger. Nothing can separate you. But the question this morning, and I'm going to end with that, is are you persuaded of that love? Are you persuaded of that love? Are you convinced? Or is that love just something head knowledge? Because it can easily be head knowledge. For my grandmother, it was head knowledge for many years. Until she lied, then she realized, like, she needs to learn to surrender. She needs to learn to give up that control and give up that bitterness and, and let go and say, wow, I can actually trust God. Because God is good doesn't matter whether I have all these breakthroughs or whether I'm going through tough, tough times. I'll hold on to the promises of Christ. I'll hold on to that love. And some of us must say that over our lives. <laughs> some of us must speak that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And that means that many times it's not going to be about feeling. It's going to be about being convinced. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can give you that hope and convince you of that love. Otherwise, it's just a feeling. Otherwise, it's just another event. But I really sense the Lord wants to stir something in our hearts. Because we get, we become such cultural Christians. We just do stuff sometimes because we keep on doing it. We just go on with emotion and we don't remind ourselves like, hey, there's a glorious hope. There's a glorious love. Life starts When I die, it doesn't finish when I die as a Christian. Amen? That's what I live for, is that redemption. And when we lose that expectation, that what he's talking about, like creation, he says, we are also the first fruits. God wants to create this uh, massive thing inside of you that says, I'm eagerly awaiting for the revelation of God. Then suddenly you begin to stand up, because that is what the world needs more than anything, is our hope. Is to understand the love of God. So will you stand with me this morning as we're going to pray and respond. Because sometimes it's small fears. Sometimes it's huge fears that come to grip. That takes hold of our soul. (laughs) The fear of the future. Fear of breakthrough. Fear of what if stuff goes wrong. And then we build our whole lives around the what ifs or the maybes mm-hmm. or just get so stuck in today that, that we lose that hope we lose that adoption I've been adopted I've been set free I've been changed by God He's not panel-beated my life He's taken me out of darkness into His marvelous light I was dead and now I'm alive in Jesus and I don't know about you I, I still have a lot of heat, but sometimes I have bad heat days. I mean, sometimes I wake up and I think like, "Ah, oh, I'm really not less even for life now, you know? And then I'm reminded that the past is always perfect, so then I say, oh, the past is perfect, the past is perfect, you know? No, no, that's just a joke. That's just a joke, because some people are staring like that, you know? We're all human beings, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And that's why He says the Holy Spirit, in that weakness, in those moments where you, where you don't understand, that's where the Holy Spirit begins to cry out, Abba Father. And He's beginning to do that in many lives, He's crying out, Abba Father. I'm submitting to another spirit. And the Holy Spirit, even in, when I don't know what to pray, He's going to pray through me. The Holy Spirit is going to take me, because it's not it's not a little thought, it's not a little intellectual thing. He says, he cries out, Abba Father. And there's a cry that must come from your spirit. When you cry out, you know, you say, help, help. That's sometimes the only thing. (laughs) Children, that's probably what they say the most. I need it now. Give it to me now. (laughs) I'm desperate now. You know. One, One of our children, I won't say which one, you know, but we said, when they were small, we said, when you're in trouble, just sc- scream help, you know. And one morning, very early, 1 a.m., we just we heard one of the children say, Help! Help, Jesus, help! <laughs> yeah? Because the person was sitting on the toilet and things were a bit stuck, you know, things didn't want to... We just rushed in and said, Lord, we loose everything that needs to be loosed now, Yeah. And stuff was coming on the, on the top, out of the top, and stuff was stuff on the bottom, you know, stuck on the bottom, and it was just like. And the amazing thing is, after 15 minutes, after just screaming, Help, the Lord healed the child and went back to sleep, and we're sitting there and thinking, like, If it could only be so easy with us. Oh, but we don't want to say, Help, Lord. Because we don't want to expose our weakness. We don't want to seem to be weak. We don't want to seem to be vulnerable. We want to be in control. And as long as we're in control, the spirit of fear can take hold of your life. That's where the Holy Spirit wants to come and say, even in your weakness, I want you to help. I want to help you to cry out ever further. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.chefronline.tv to download and share.